We believe Jamie was in the home at the time of the homicides, and we believe she is still in danger. A brutal murder in the middle of the night, and a 13-year-old girl missing. The case of Jamie Kloss captures the nation's attention. The sense of urgency is growing by the minute here in Barron County, Wisconsin. A community on edge. We're all scared. Who, who did this? Who would right. do something like this? A family desperate to find her. My life was ripped apart and shattered into pieces. A mystery in a small town. I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I just don't know what happened in this case. But hope never lost. Thank God, after those 88 days, we at least got answers. I'm Lou Ragoose, and this is 88 Days, the Jamie Kloss story. I'm a reporter for CARE 11 News, the NBC TV station in Minneapolis. That's about 90 miles from Barron, which is a small town in western Wisconsin with about 3,000 people. In this job, I've covered more crime stories than I can count, but nothing like the story of Jamie Kloss. Jamie's story has more highs and lows than anything my colleagues and I have ever covered. And in this podcast, we'll take you through them with us. We'll go through this entire investigation so you can learn the details and feel the twists and turns, just as we did, starting on October 15th, 2018. We begin with Chapter 1, Day 1. We first hear about the case when one of our producers spots a Facebook post with a press release from the Barron County Sheriff's Department. It's about 7 a.m. It's a Monday morning. The post says that just six hours earlier, someone called 911 asking for help at a house on Highway 8. That's the main highway that runs from Minnesota into Wisconsin and through Barron. The post says two adults are dead and 13-year-old Jamie Kloss is missing. Included is a photograph of Jamie sitting on some large rocks, looking up at the camera and smiling, her long strawberry blonde hair hanging over her shoulders. The Post says she's 5 feet tall, 100 pounds with green eyes, and it says she's possibly in danger. Uh, say your first and last name for us. Sure. Title. Chris Fitzgerald and the Barron County Sheriff. Perfect. That's our reporter Camille Williams arriving in Barron that morning and meeting Chris Fitzgerald. He soon will become the most recognizable face in this investigation, giving every interview and making every plea for help. He soon will be known for wearing his white administrative police uniform shirt with a black tie, black pants, and his sheriff badge pinned to his chest. But at this first interview, after he'd been awake all night helping organize the investigation, Sheriff Fitzgerald is wearing blue jeans, a tan hoodie sweatshirt, and a camouflage baseball cap. His shirt says Barron County Sheriff's Department, but to be honest, if it wasn't for his pistol and his side holster and his sheriff's badge hanging from a chain around his neck, you might mistake him for any western Wisconsin man in his mid-40s. When we arrived at the scene shortly after the 911 call, um, we discovered uh, two deceased individuals. Uh, those individuals have been identified now as the owners of the residence. They are uh, the mother and father of, of Jamie. She is our missing 13-year-old. Um, we don't know their cause of death right now, um, but there was... Uh, some gunshots at the scene. But at this time, we still have no leads on where Jamie is, and that's our focus right now. Is Jamie still considered to be missing and in danger? Yes, she is. Um, um, people have called and asked if she's a suspect, and at this time, I don't believe she's a suspect. I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I'm saying she's a 13-year-old girl that's missing and endangered. At this point, the investigation is less than 12 hours old. All we know as we arrive in Barron for the first time is that two people are dead, and a 13-year-old girl is missing. This is our first confirmation that the victims are the parents of the missing girl. This is our first hint that they may have been shot. 
We don't know anything about Jamie Kloss, what her relationship with her parents was like, and whether she might have had any role in what happened last night at her house. And it sounds like Sheriff Fitzgerald hasn't sorted all that out yet either. And they still don't know how Jamie left the house that night. Is there a car missing from the scene that possibly she could have taken? Not to our knowledge. Uh, the vehicles, there's vehicles on, on, at the scene. Uh, so we believe everything's accounted for. Um, and we just don't know where this 13-year-old girl is. Is there a weapon missing? No, there's no weapons missing that we know of. I mean, that's what our team is doing right now. But I just don't know. I don't know what happened here. I don't know. It's a, it's, I've been doing this for 20-plus years, and I just don't know what happened in this case. I just don't have a, a good reason why this took place. I don't have any information about how this happened or what what direction we need to go, but really our main focus right now is to find Jamie. Sheriff Fitzgerald tells us that Jamie and her parents were the only three people living at the house where they were murdered. It's on Highway 8, about two miles west of Barron, in the direction of the St. Croix Casino in Turtle Lake. That's a popular spot open 24 hours. And their house is in the direction of Minneapolis, which has three million people in its metro area. Do you have a feeling that she, Jamie, could be anywhere? She could be in Minneapolis. Right, and that's why we worked with the National Exploiting and Missing Children's because that's a nationwide search. Because yeah, she's got eight hours head start if she went somewhere, or if someone took her, or if you know, I don't know what happened to her. I just don't know the answer to what happened to her, and and uh, from there on out, we'll. Just go with the tips we got, and so the public should just continue to pray for her safe return and and, uh, just call in any tips they have. Even though we try reaching out, we won't hear from anyone in Jamie's family for a few days. They're dealing with the fear of what happened to Jamie and the shock of the violent death of her parents, who later in the day we learn are Jim and Denise Kloss. And they're also in fear for their own lives because they don't know the killer's motivation. In this very first conversation with Sheriff Fitzgerald on October 15th, one of the last things he leaves us with is how innocent the victims seem to be and how difficult solving this crime will be. Working here for 20 years, did you know them? Did the sheriff's office frequent that house? No, we, I, I did not know them personally, and uh, we also had no contact with that residence prior to, prior to this call tonight. So we, that's another strange thing. Uh, so first-time caller to this residence, and... Um, Yeah, I just don't know what took place. Our CARE 11 crew then goes to the crime scene and begins to videotape from Highway 8. Our view of the home of Jim and Denise Kloss is partially blocked by trees, with the fall leaves turned orange. It's more chilly than usual for mid-October in western Wisconsin, the temperature about 32 degrees. We see armed officers wearing black hoodies, as well as men wearing full suits and ties, walking from the Kloss home to a large white law enforcement RV. We notice that in place of the front door, a blanket hangs, and the lower half of the entrance is covered with plywood. Decorated pumpkins for upcoming Halloween sit outside the home. There are neighbors on each side and across the highway from the Kloss home, but they are separated by thick groves of trees, and through the backyard is a forest before reaching rolling farm fields. Even though the Kloss home is located on a busy highway, this seems to be a pretty private place to live. Our crew starts knocking on doors, and then they meet the nearest neighbors, Tom and Joan Smrecker. You don't know what to think about it. It, it doesn't happen every day. You don't know how to take it, yeah. how to process it. I've never filled out a police report before in my life. And there was the helicopters and all the news channels. Mm-hmm. And, and 
lots of police and sheriff's cars, and and they just stopped before you came and said that they were going to go out in the woods to let us know. They were going to search the woods for for the daughter. and um, Like right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Smreckers tell us that they didn't realize it at first, but they now believe they actually heard the crime when it was in progress. Yeah, we went to bed about quarter after 12, and... It was just right after 12.30, um, we heard two gunshots, boom, and then boom, just seconds after that first one. And I turned to Tom and I said, was that gunshots? And he said, yeah. Uh, And I said, he says, boy, that was a big gun. And I rolled over and I looked at my clock and it said, well, my clock is off seven minutes. It said 12.38, so it was 12.31 in there. And it was... um, we just didn't think too much of it, other than the fact that I was thinking, it's weird at 12.30 at night, and you have this big a gun going off. But it wasn't enough to make us get up and worry about it. I did get up after that, about a little after 1, because I couldn't sleep. And I'm sitting here, and, the, and Zobie, our dog, came out and laid on the porch, and, and he was going, hmm, hmm. So I knew something was going on out there, but, you know, that they're up that way. We can't see up there with the trees and stuff. And so it was a surprise to us when the sheriff's department stopped this morning and said, did you know? Hearing two gunshots from their closest neighbor's home, 300 feet away in the middle of the night, wasn't enough to get up and worry about. That might not make sense to you, but that's not necessarily the case around here. Just 3,000 people live in Barron. It's a very rural area filled with trees. And for a lot of people in the area, hunting is a way of life. When Joan says her husband recognized that the sound was a big gun, what she means is that it was a high-powered rifle or shotgun, not a handgun. About 47% of Wisconsin households have a gun, and Barron is more than 200 miles from the state's largest cities, Madison and Milwaukee. So that number here is probably much higher. When people hear gunshots around here, they're more likely to assume it's somebody scaring an animal out of their yard or target practice than something like murder. Even in the middle of the night, a crime like this was far from the first thing that came to the neighbors' minds. For what it's worth, I talked with Joan Smarker's husband, Tom, a few days later, and he told me they quickly regretted not calling 911. They couldn't help but wonder if that would have made a difference in finding Jamie. Not only that... But Tom said they started getting harassing phone calls from people who followed the case from around the country, essentially blaming them for Jamie's disappearance. Back to Joan's interview on October 15th. She tells us she didn't know the Kloss family, and there didn't seem to be anything suspicious about them. I understand that people want to know what's going on and, and uh, get the word out. But it's sad because I feel for that girl, whether she was abducted or if she did it, she's got to be confused. She's got to be um, hurting herself, and she might be in shock. And I just hope that they find her soon because she's the one that's got the key to this. And we need to open that door. Breaking news right now. The search is intensifying for this 13-year-old Wisconsin girl. An Amber Alert was issued late this afternoon saying the teenager was taken from her home near Barron, possibly at gunpoint. To put out an Amber Alert, investigators need some sort of information about a suspect. Since they didn't have that, they weren't able to put out this Amber Alert until 3.20 p.m. 
not long before our newscasts and more than 14 hours after Jamie's parents were murdered. Yeah, right now, Barron County Sheriff's deputies, they are out here in front of the house. They still have crime tape up. You can see that there is also a crime lab trailer behind me. The sheriff tells me that the scene that they found inside was, quote, violent. And everyone I spoke to in this community say they are stunned and that they hope that this girl is found safe. This podcast is sponsored by the new CARE 11 app, now totally redesigned to make it the newest, easiest, must-have app for Minnesota weather with interactive radar, video forecasts, and hyper-local accurate weather alerts. It is still coming in with a lot of lightning and thunder. We do have a few warnings out for a number of counties. From the hottest days to the most severe storms, stay on top of it all with the new CARE 11 app. Download or update today. Later that night, our second news crew arrives in Barron. Danny, I'm rolling here whenever you're ready here. Care 11 reporter Danny Spiewak meets Christine Fink at her business, Christine's Dance Company. She's been Jamie's dance teacher for years. Yeah, I'd say at least since 2011. Christine is showing us a photograph of Jamie. This was from 2015. This was the class that Jamie was in, her ballet number. Jamie looks much younger here than in the other photo from the sheriff's department. She's wearing a purple ballet dress, her hair slicked back into a bun. She's posing with her classmates. I don't know. I just want it out there that she's she's a sweet girl. She's a sweet girl. She's soft-spoken, scared that nobody knows anything. So Danny's with me here now as we go through this interview with Christine. Hi, Danny. Hey, Lou. How's it going? Good. And so what's it like at the dance studio that night? So it's... uh, it's frantic and there's a sense of urgency and the interesting thing is is you know you've got a a lot of really young kids that are jamie's age and younger and i think a lot of people at the dance studio some of the uh some of the instructors and the owner christine for sure uh, they they didn't want the kids to to feel frantic or to feel you know out of sorts so they're shielding them to a certain point yeah they really and they continued you know they're, they're continuing with the dance uh instructions and the classes but you, you can really tell it's all anyone's thinking about and it's a little is, surreal huh it is yeah and it's so new it's the first day it's the you know we're not even 24 hours in and everyone is confused and there's this real just this real sense of urgency that we need to find jamie right away and what else are you seeing and hearing around Barron or in Barron county that night mm. well i think it's a lot of people that are, are, are just shell-shocked. I think that, you know, you're not seeing um, a lot of signs yet. You're not seeing, um, you're sort of seeing this. I think people didn't know what to do. I don't think people are, are quite grasping what's happening. And I think it, because it's it's not even been 24 hours, I think people are, are still just trying to wrap their head around what happened until they can even figure out how to help and what to do. Sure. And during this interview with Christine, you receive an email and for the first time, we learn the names of the victims, Jamie's mm-hmm. parents, Jim and Denise Kloss. But we still don't know anything about them at this point, right? Right. And it was interesting talking to Christine because as I'm talking to her, she's explaining that she was just texting with Denise a few days earlier. I was actually just texting her mom on Saturday because we needed to change her class time. Um, it was conflicting with her church confirmation class. And so um, today coming into work, I was going to try to find another class for her. And instead we're doing this. 
you know, um, her mom. That just seemed like a, like a good person. Yeah, she was very kind and respectful, just like her daughter, and, you know, never stirred things up or, you know, like some dance moms do. Um, she's just, she was, a, she was a good lady, and it's really sad to think about that she's gone. Yeah, it's just... It's just so hard to believe that, that I was just talking to her on Saturday, yeah, you know? it's just so terrible. <sighs> so we'll learn more about Jim and Denise in the days and weeks to come, but Jamie is the one that Christine knows well, and Christine is really the first person that we meet who really knows her, right? Yeah, and uh, it, it was, uh, you know, our, the, the first crew that I encountered on scene from Care 11, they said, I, you know, I think you need to go talk to Christine because she actually, you know, has a familiarity with the family, knows Jamie pretty well. Um, and so, uh, so that was, you know, I, I called her right away and she wanted to talk as, because she wanted the world to, to know that Jamie needed help and she needed Jamie's story out there and she wanted to help in any way she could. And so you've seen her grow a lot over the years. I have. I have. Yes. She's a, she's a big part of, um, the studio and like every kid is and, um, we need to find her. So you wake up this morning and how do you find out what's going on? I came down like I do every morning and turn on the news and that was happened to be the first thing that flashed on the TV was Jamie's picture and I froze and had to rewind it and watch it again and I ran out um, my husband was leaving and I said you need to come in here and watch this and so I watched it again and um, it just sent chills down my body and it's just the feeling of not knowing where she is is, is horrible and it, it, it hits, our community is very small and it, and it hits home. What else do you see and hear in Barron that night that doesn't make it into your actual report on TV? I, I do think people were were quiet at first. I don't think I don't think anybody knew what to do. I think that's probably would be my biggest takeaway um, because we were we you wouldn't have, that was maybe the interesting thing is you wouldn't have necessarily known anything was wrong if you just went down Main Street if you went right down you know the middle of town but 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 if just the way people were acting I think people were it was like they were hit with a they ran into a brick wall almost and they didn't know how to react and they they didn't know what to do yet and I think in the coming days you would see a little more organization but I think that first night people just didn't know what to do with themselves Mm -hmm. there's just so much trauma and what do we learn about Jamie from this conversation we learned that she's uh shy and reserved you know I I think a lot of people uh you know would describe her that way and we, we we just learned that she was just a regular 13 year old girl that um was just caught in this horrible horrible situation jamie is a a very reserved shy polite very respectful girl as in a lot of activities she's like i said she's in church and i know that she's in volleyball and she's been dancing here she loved dancing here you you worry about every every scenario starts racing through your mind you know where is she is she okay is she scared what's going through my head is how are we going to find her there's nothing there's no information and somebody needs to come forward with some information we have to find her she it worries me what she's going through right now and whatever we can do to find her obviously everybody is it almost feels like we're in panic mode we got to find her we got to find her christine is the first of many people who tells us jamie is shy everyone who gives an on-camera interview like this seems to be very careful with their words so it doesn't come off the wrong way but off camera they tell us jamie's shyness makes them even more worried they tell us she can be timid 
She sometimes avoids eye contact. She's not bold in any way. So they worry if Jamie was taken out of the house against her will, she might not be able to escape on her own. Sadly, they worry her personality could make her the perfect victim. And that's partly why panic is beginning to set in. Care 11's Danny Spiewak is live in Barron tonight with what the community is saying about Jamie and her disappearance. Well, Julie and Randy, the sense of urgency is growing by the minute here in Barron County, Wisconsin. The disappearance of Jamie Kloss is all anyone can think about right now until they figure out what happened to her. In this small town of 3,400, the news traveled fast. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, an Amber Alert issued for a 13-year-old from Barron. And the Barron County Sheriff's Department says it's working closely with the Barron Area School District where Jamie goes to school. The school district has put out a statement this evening saying that there's an increased police presence at the schools at every building. Back to you. Danny, any plans for local searchers tomorrow? We don't know that at this point. Uh, we will be checking in with the Sheriff's Department first thing in the morning, but at this point, we know there aren't any active searches or canvassing in the area. Uh, they are really just working with federal and state authorities to try to figure out who took Jamie and where they may have gone. Next time on 88 Days, misinformation. I cannot stress that enough. We are asking the media, the people on Facebook, if it does not come from this podium, it is not a credible tip. A lack of information. I'll be honest, I'll, you know, we're, I'm struggling with this because I don't have some of the, those answers that I want to give you. The community, desperate to help, finally fans out in searches. Thousands of people today who volunteered to look for Jamie Kloss. A local musician brings Jamie's story to a national stage on NBC's The Voice. That's a small thing that I can do in a tough time for our community. And Jamie's family makes a plea. Whoever may know where Jamie is, please contact the Barron County Sheriff's Department. Jamie, we need you here with us to fill that hole we have in our hearts, and we will never stop looking for you. This is 88 Days, the Jamie Kloss Story, a CARE 11 original podcast in association with Vault Studios. Check out 88dayspodcast.com for more information on the Jamie Kloss case. 88 Days is written and produced by me, Lou Raguse, and Ellie Coder. Original music is by Dave Mailing and Emily Havick, and original artwork by David Malman. Special thanks to Care 11 management and staff for their contributions, the people of Barron, Wisconsin, and the Kloss family. Growing up here, dealing with everything that's going on now, I'm surprised this town's even standing. Bardstown, Kentucky is a small town in the heart of the Bluegrass State. But Bardstown, Kentucky also has secrets. Five unsolved murders over four years. Rumors and theories, and still no one is behind bars. I've been 100% free. Listen to what I'm saying. You listen to what I'm saying. Bardstown, a new podcast from Vault Studios. It's been you know, almost six years. There's still not a lot of answers. 